0: Have you ever engaged a piece of art not because it would make you happy or it would cheer you up or it would make your day, but because it would bring you sadness or put a weightiness on your shoulders, perhaps tears to your eyes, not happy tears. There are songs or Classical pieces that I have listened to, not for cheering me up, but to put me in a place of somberness. To help me feel a bit of sadness. There are reason, there's a reason funeral marches are called funeral marches. There are movies that poignantly portray the reality of the brokenness in this world, dark films that show that this world is cracked and broken and in need of mending. And people are cracked and broken and in need of mending. And we watch those films and there's not a feel-good Saturday afternoon film. It's something that weighs on you. There are museums dedicated not to the grand victories of history, but the dark, shameful moments of our past. I once walked through the Yad Vashem in Jerusalem. It's a museum dedicated to remembering the Holocaust. And you walk through that museum and there are no smiles. And there, there's no talking. And there's a weight there. And you walk through and you finish and you feel history. You don't just learn history, you feel history. The pain, the difficulty, the tragedy. Oftentimes, art can be used to remind us, to press us into truth, the truth of reality. The weightiness of the brokenness of the world can be put on our shoulder. The marred nature of ourselves can be shown to us in a mirror. The divergence of our own path away from the ideal that God would give us. This morning, we are holding such a piece of art. We're going to be in Psalm 50, so you can turn to that. We're holding such a piece of art. This piece of art, this song, is likely sung by a congregation of people, likely the people of God, Israel, as we know them in the New Testament or the Old Testament. And this people of God on a yearly occasion, during one of their yearly festivals, it was a big deal for their year, they would remember and recite the covenant that they had with God and they would remember and recite the laws that God had given them. They would start this remembering at the beginning of the day as the sun was rising and they would sing this song. And with this song, as they sing, they will remind themselves the gravity of the covenant, the nature of their God, and the consequences of their own actions. In this song, the sustaining, powerful God speaks, reminding his covenant people he offers relationship over ritual and deliverance from the punishment of hypocrisy. In this song, this morning, the sustaining, powerful God speaks, reminding His covenant people He offers relationship over ritual and deliverance from the punishment of hypocrisy. This song is sung in three movements. In the first, the reality of the cosmic judge is introduced. So let's read in 1-6 through six of Psalm 50. A psalm of Asaph. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, He does not keep silence. Before Him is a devouring fire, around Him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that He may judge His people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah. This is the first of the Psalms of Asaph. We've not seen his works before. He is a priestly songwriter, an ancient hymn writer, as it were. And him and his descendants would be singers and songwriters for the people of God, for the good of the temple, for the good of the people throughout their history. That's what they did and that's what we're starting to look into right now. And in this song, God is laying out a courtroom scene with all its important parts. Have you ever sat in a courtroom before? I've sat in the Clackamas County courtroom. I've I've been to the Supreme Court of our country. Courtrooms often have austere architecture and a particular place that you're allowed to sit. Hushed tones are in a courtroom. There's the rising of the entrance when the judge shows up, and the palpable feeling that law is adjudicated here. You sit in a courtroom and you whisper if you talk at all. You can feel what could happen in a place like that. God is laying out a courtroom at the beginning of this song. And where our courtrooms represent a human approximation of justice, God sets himself up as the cosmic judge of the universe. The justice that all others approximate. It says, The mighty one, the God, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. This is the mighty one, God, the Lord, God, the powerful and mighty God. The Lord is our English way of translating Yahweh, the name of the revealed God in Scripture. This is not a counterfeit God. This is not a false God. This is the great, mighty, powerful God who revealed himself to us and to the people singing this song. And God speaks, and when he speaks, things happen. The earth is summoned. The entire world is called in because the words of God. He says, come, and the earth comes. We have a hard time summoning a child or a grandchild. He summons the earth. And as they sing this song, the sun is rising in the east and heading to set in the west. And he says, from the rising of the sun to the setting... That's, where, that's who I'm summoning. We see the sun rise from over the mountains and set far into the horizon of the Pacific Ocean. That is the span that God can summon. All the earth. This is not a regional summoning. The span of all the earth, God calls. Every bit of it. God is the mighty one over all the earth. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. And God is Beautiful. Out of Zion, the city where God is with His people, God comes in the perfection of beauty. God is glorious. His goodness is weighty. His glory shines. His majesty is palpable. His goodness is radiant. And His beauty is perfection. If you don't know God, He is revealing a bit of Himself In this song, he is glorious. Everyone, when they're in a courtroom, rises when the judge enters. That is practiced deference. When God shows up, we are compelled to stand. His greatness is obvious. The song continues. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. Our God comes, the people sing. He does not keep silence. The people of God singing this song know their Bibles. They know their histories. God, the God they're singing about rescued a people from slavery in Egypt. He brought them out of slavery and he took them to a great mountain. And on the way, he led them by a pillar of fire. And when they got to the mountain, there was a great tempest, a violent storm. And God dwelled on the mountain. And the fire was there and God was there and the storm was raging around and the people felt the intensity, the awesomeness of God. The Mighty One. This is not like the gods of Egypt. The weak gods. The counterfeit gods. The gods who were defeated by this God. By this Yahweh. And just being close to this mountain, this place where the storm is raging and the fire is present, the people shake in their bones. They are terrified because God is that mighty and that big. And in that place, God worked relationship with his people. That is where he gave his law, the Ten Commandments, the things that he said, this is how you ought to live. This is how life will go well for you. This is how things ought to be. And the people know that history, and as they sing this song, they remember that truth, and the weightiness rests on their shoulders. We're talking about that God. The God, the Mighty One. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that He may judge His people. The earth has been summoned, but not the earth alone. The heavens are summoned as well. Summon to the courtroom to serve as witnesses to what the judge will do, to what the judge will say. Heaven and earth, that's a way of saying all creation. All creation, come to the courtroom, witness my judgments and my speaking. That's the kind of judge we're talking about. He says, gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. He says, my faithful ones, you are the ones that will stand before the judge. My people, the ones who have made covenant with me who have sacrificed literally cut a covenant our relationship is forged in blood that's what that means we are in a a squeamish culture when we talk about sacrificing or blood or death but nothing speaks to the seriousness of relationship like death to give a sacrifice of an animal is to be serious to the point of death about a promise May it be to me, and they point at an animal, if I do not fulfill my word. That's how serious I am about this relationship. His people have sacrificed for a covenant with God. They propose to be serious, weighty about their relationship with God. And they are singing the song and they are remembering. And God says, gather to me. The heavens declare His righteousness for God Himself is judge, Selah. The heavens, the place where God dwells, declares that God is righteous. God is a good and right judge. God can decree the right thing in the right way, at the right time, and in the right amount. His word and judgment, His wisdom and integrity are steadfast. God Himself is. Is judged. This is not a human approximation or a fake God setting himself up over a people. This is God, the creator of the universe God, the God who can summon heaven and earth. This is not the modified or moderated God that fits into your box of comfortable truth. He is powerful, mighty, cosmically relevant, eternally present, aware of you and your actions righteous storm around him, fire before him, calling the heavens and earth to court. God and judge of the universe. That is the God we see. He himself is God. He himself is judge. Selah. Be silent. Now is the time for the judge to speak. That is the God who now holds court. And it is that God who will bring his ruling in the second movement of this song, where he, where we see the indictment and the warning to ritualistic believers. In 7 through 15, let's read. And God says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. He says, hear, O my people, and I will speak. My people, the ones I called, the ones I rescued, the ones I loved, the ones with whom I covenant. listen to me. I'm not talking to the whole world. I'm talking to you right now. I'm talking to my people. And at this moment, Israel, God will testify against you. God Their God and the people keep singing and keep hearing and keep feeling the weight of this song. And God says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Not because of the rituals or the offerings. You have that down. You are constantly keeping up with the requirements. And this time there are many sacrifices. There was a system. If one sinned, they would kill an animal. If one was guilty, the guilt would be ceremonially placed on an animal, and the animal would be sacrificed. The animal would be killed. If one acted or did something that did not align with how we ought to love God or love our neighbor, one would kill a calf or a goat or a bird as a way of saying, This is serious. My actions are serious, deadly serious. Blood is spilled. Death is deserved. God says, I'm not talking to you because you lack sacrifices. They know how to do sacrifices. They know the rituals. They know how to be religious. They were good at keeping up with practices. They showed up for church. They could sing the songs. They knew the chorus. They knew how the service went. They knew how to play the part. God says, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. God says, I don't need your animals. The system is not set up because I am lacking in beef or need more poultry. I do not have a shortage of goats. I am the God of the universe. I just summon the east and the west, the heavens and the earth, all the beasts in every forest. They are mine. I just let you enjoy them. The cattle on a thousand hills, and we would think only a thousand hills. We think we can talk about big numbers because we use words like billion or trillion. We can't picture that. You can't picture a billion. Picture a thousand hills. That's all the hills. That's a way to say all the hills. All the beef is God's. Every head of cattle at every ranch, taken care of by every rancher, they are all God's. All the birds in all the trees, God is saying, I made them, I own them, they are mine. All that moves in the fields, the mice and the prairie dogs and the squirrels and the moles, each and every little animal is created by God. Each and every one is God's. He continues, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? God continues, If I were hungry, I wouldn't be coming to you for help. I own everything and everything in it. I don't need you for a hamburger. God doesn't need your animals. God doesn't need help To satisfy a hunger. God doesn't get hungry like a human. He doesn't eat. God does not need your stuff, Israel, this song is saying. And it's telling us, God does not need your stuff, New Life Church. If you have ever given an offering thinking, I am helping God out. I am putting a great mark on the positive ledger. God does not need your stuff. God does not need your help to make budget. God doesn't need your help in lending a hand. Everything that we touch and use and consume and enjoy, every bit of it is God's. He created it, He sustains it, and He hands it out for people to steward, for people to take care of. He does not need your stuff. It's His stuff. God does not need your bulls or your goats. He does not need your tithe or your service. He wants you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to be with you and you to be with him. He continues, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God continues in this warning in his judgment. He says, walk this way, people. He says, with a sacrifice of thanksgiving. A sacrifice of thanksgiving is something different. There is something as you walk in life, there's something you notice that God has given you, that God has done. You see God's work in your life and you say, I want to give, I want to give something in thankfulness to God. And in this old system where a sin or a guilt offering was given to the temple system and now I'm, I'm detached from it, I'm not involved anymore. The thanksgiving offering is something that the givers eat. We're going to bring this bowl, we're going to bring olive oil, we're going to bring bread, we're going to cook it over a fire. A thanksgiving offering is a barbecue with God. We're going to eat this together because I'm thankful that I'm in a relationship with God. I am with you. Or in the same way, I want to give you this thing, this vow. I will bring a vow because I just want to be with you. I'm in relationship. I want relationship. And thus, this vow. God, the judge, is speaking to his people saying, I don't need your stuff. That's not the point. I want you. I don't need your rituals perfectly executed. I want relationship with you. And will give you relationship with myself. He says, call to me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God is reaching out. When the hard day comes, call to me. Talk to me. When trouble comes, talk to me. When tragedy strikes and the weeks are hard and the months are hard and the years are hard, call to me. I will be with you. And I will be with you so much that you will proclaim my majesty. You will heap glory back on me. You will know my character And I will be so close to you, you will proclaim who I am and someone else will know it because of your story. He's saying to his people, stop thinking rituals or gifts or tithes or service or Bible reading plans or regimented discipline or the right thing at the right time is what God is looking for. God is not a puzzle to be solved or a machine to be rigged. God is a person that wants a relationship with you. And when you are in the day of trouble, don't think about what you can give God to gain support. Ask Him for help. He wants a relationship with you. And for a moment, the courtroom is silent. As hurting people realize they have been going at this the wrong way. And some singing the song realize they have been walking the way of the ritualistic and are being reminded of relationship. Relationship with the mighty one, God, their God. And the song turns to a different set of people in the third movement. Where we have the indictment and the warning to the hypocrites. In verse 16, But to the wicked God says, What right have you to recite my statutes? Or take my covenant on your lips. For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a th- thief, you are pleased with him. And you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil. And your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you. And lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. I think that God is here turning to his people that are not being ritualistic and religious, but instead are simply evil, simply wicked. This is the day they renew the covenant. They speak the relational promises with God. They rehearse and remind themselves of the law. God is watching them speak the lines and saying, Who do you think you are? Why would you of all people speak relationally with me? You have never intended to be with me. You rehearse the Ten Commandments but your fingers are crossed behind your back. What right do you have to say these words? He says in 17, For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. You are the people who hate my discipline. You hate my guidance into the way life ought to be lived. God's pointing and mending of your character. You cast my words behind you. You don't care about what I say. You don't care to listen to the words of the Mighty One. And let us remind ourselves, these are not merely the words of a little God who wants attention. These are the words of the Mighty One who can summon all creation. These are the words of the Giver of life. Grace, blessing, life, and hope come from these words. And they hear them and they don't give a care. Maybe some of you hear them and don't give a care. He says, if you see a thief, you are pleased with him. You keep company with adulterers. He says, you like the thief, the one who steals and tricks and robs and hurts. You call him buddy. You call him pal. You applaud what he does when he cheats his neighbor and steals the provision of another. He says, you keep company with adulterers, those who have made a covenant with their spouse and have decided that that promise is not worth keeping. Not when I can have sexual satisfaction over here. Not when I can share the bed of that person over there. Your company breeds your character. Your company... Influences your actions and God the judge the righteous judge continues to walk down the list of the ten commandments that he gave them on the mountain And he points out the failure or even lack of desire for the evil one to walk in them In 19 through 20 you give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son These things you have done and I have been silent. He says, you just run your mouth off. You don't care to tell the truth. You slander your brother, your own relationship. You have no care for your relationship with your neighbor. You have no inclination to love your neighbor. You have no inclination to love your God. And on that day, when you would rehearse these commandments, these statutes, the good God-given law, they sing this song that recites judgment on them. The good judge is pointing them out right now in this song. Perhaps you are sitting here right now and you are being pointed to. You have been doing this religion thing as a game. There is no relationship. You know the right words, but really your fingers are crossed behind your back. You know the company you keep. You know the words you revel in. And God says, these things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. God says, I can see you, and I have been silent for a time. I have been silent for a moment, but not anymore. You thought I was one like yourself. I think that many discount or disregard God because they picture Him to be just a big version of themselves. Imperfect, impetuous, not powerful, and thus frustratable, unable to be angry without being vindictive, unable to couple justice and goodness righteousness and love god says i am not like you i am not evil i am not small i am not forgetful or short-sighted in my decisions i do not allow justice to be thwarted or the rebel to go unpunished i'm not afraid of righteous confrontations i do not let evil stand And the song continues and heaps the weight of judgment on the singers as God is not silent. And the song proclaims to them, now wicked one, I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. The gavel is about to fall. And here now, God is using this song for us to heap the weight of judgment as God is not silent. Now, wicked one, I rebuke you and lay the charge before you, the gavel is about to fall. And God says, Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. He says, Mark this, this is your time to listen. The courtroom is silent, fear is in the air. You have forgot God in the past, do not forget now. God is the judge and the executor of justice. Wicked rebel who continues to defy God, the God who is warning you right now, if you do not mark His words, He will tear you apart. This is the God who calls the heavens and the earth to bear witness. This is the mighty one. Should you mockingly recite His words or let your actions fly in His face? should you set yourself up against him, should you spurn relationship and continue to choose the path of a rebel, he will rip you apart until there is nothing left to put back together. God will not suffer the wicked. God will not suffer your rebellion. God will halt rebellion. God will thwart wickedness. God will stop evil, all of it. And your response should be, God help me. I have been ambivalent about my wickedness. God help me. I have scorned your name and your statutes, your good ways of living. God help me. I keep company with evil ones because I am evil. God help me. And salvation from a wrathful God comes from the same delivering God. He says in 23, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. It comes back to relationship. Where there is relationship with God, there is salvation of God. They sang the song to feel the gravitas of the greatness of God. They sang the song to shake them loose from religious practice and point them to relationship with God. They sang the song to slap themselves in the face and say, if you are walking as an evil man, as an evil woman, run to God lest He tear you apart. Run to God lest He kill your rebel soul. We need this song to shake us awake and remind us our God is the mighty one. To remind us that we fall into thinking my practice is what makes me pleasing to God. To remind us that God does not suffer rebels. Even though all around us we would be told that God is weak and compromising and not willing to deal with evil. Finally, God cannot see me or God doesn't care or it's really not that big a deal, God will deal finally and rightly with evil. God is strong and right and powerful. Salvation from a wrathful God comes from the same delivering God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as God revealed Himself in Psalm 50 as the Mighty One, He reveals himself mighty in the servant nature of the God-man Jesus. Hebrews expounds on this truth in Hebrews 13, verse 10. The writer says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. He's pointing back to the old system. They have no right to eat this way. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him, go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The author of Hebrews draws conclusions from the old system. Those sacrifices reminded us of our guilt and our shame and showed us what was needed, but they did not save us. But Jesus suffered outside the gate, outside the gate of Jerusalem, the city of Zion. He suffered on a cross, not just to bleed to show us sin is really serious. He died to take our punishment, to take our death, to take our suffering, to cleanse us, to sanctify us, to make relationship possible with us. And echoing the words of Psalm 50, the writer continues, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This morning the Mighty One has spoken in Psalm 50 and in the work of Jesus. He told us again and again he desires relationship, not religious ritual. He says, be with me. Don't play a game. If that is where you sit, call on Jesus, even in your day of trouble. And he has told us this morning again and again, the wicked will be dealt with through their own death or the death of Jesus. Jesus offers the salvation of God. Let's pray. Lord, this is heavy truth. But heavy is not bad. It's just heavy because we don't remind ourselves of this often. God, you are the mighty one. You can summon all creation to stand before you and listen to you. And you are the God that wants relationship with us. That is incredible. God, we're we're good at religion in this room. We've practiced that for a long time and we are good at putting pieces together that we think is just the right way to act. But God, you want relationship with us. Help us see that. Help us joy in that. And God, there's a there're a bunch of rebels. And you will deal with rebels the way rebels ought to be dealt with. Turn our hearts toward you if we are running away from you. Lord, if there are friends in this room that are running away and have been running away and have just been faking it for a long time, grab them with this song and show them to run to you or you will tear them apart. You will not allow evil to remain. God, I thank you that you remedied the problem. You decided to deal with evil and you did it through your own death. That is incredible and awesome. Help us cling to that with all that we are. Let this weightiness help us run to the cross and align that with our hearts as we sing. Amen.